You're listening to Satellite Sisters. What's a Satellite Sister? The person you call when the best thing in your life happens or the worst. The person that gets you up, gets you going, and gets you through. And every once in a while, changes your mind. This podcast is part pep talk, part weekly check-in. Like grabbing coffee with a friend. Thanks for being here. Welcome to the Satellite Sisterhood. We are the Satellite Sisters. Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Liz Dolan. I'm here in Santa Monica, California, uh, joined by my sister, Julie Dolan in Dallas, Texas. Julie, how are you? Fine, Liz. Happy to be here with you. Uh, we're missing someone today, aren't we, Liz? We're we are missing someone. Leon is not here today. Uh, so our question of the week, you know, Leon is the producer of the show. So the question Julie and I were asking ourselves this morning is, what would Leon be telling us to do right now? And if she was here. So Julie, what's your answer to that? She, she says the same thing to us every single week. To me, she says, Julie, be sure to let others into the conversation. That's what <laughs> How about you? What, is she, what does she always say to you? You know what she says to me. She just sends me a text that says, please slow down. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's funny. Last week, Leon and I talked about the speech we were giving after the show. And it went really well, by the way. And we did both remember to go and it was a super fun group. But one of the ladies that came up to talk to me afterwards did say, I didn't even tell Leon this. She did say, oh, I really, really enjoyed that. But, you know, you talk so fast. Sometimes I couldn't understand what you were saying. <laughs> so, or not just Leon. Okay. Well, yeah. Okay. I can never be reminded too much to slow down. So, um, okay. So here's what we're doing on today's show. Very fun, very full show. Mm -hmm. First, last week, we asked you for your thoughts about work and how it's changed for you uh, during pandemic time. So we got a lot of really interesting thoughts. We're going to share those with you. We have some comments. They fall into some categories mainly, but then some people are way outside the categories. So that's number one. Number two is when you read the story about a Hollywood executive and they're referred to as talent friendly, what does that, what does that really I mean? Don't know, Liz. I don't live in Hollywood. I, yeah. I yeah. Well, you well, believe, believe it or not, Julie, I can explain. I have a very up close and personal experience with someone who is very much in the news right now. So I thought I would share that. And then I think we have some summer entertainment tips, right? Yes. Well, you know, Father's Day is coming up and I have a special Father's Day recommendation, a viewing recommendation for this weekend. I think it's perfect for all families. Okay. All right. Well, first, of course, it was Tony Awards weekend, so can't say enough about the Tony Awards. I always think it's the best award show of the year. And they and they give the best speeches, don't you think? Yes, yes, yeah. I mean, they're really, you know, I mean, I know many of them are both movie actors and stage actors, but they seem to be very prepared, you know, and they don't just thank their agents. Uh, I know, they, yes, they, yes. And they're, they seem honestly grateful, which is really nice. But we do, you know, aside from the Tonys, which is getting discussed in the Satellite Sisters Facebook group, if you want to chime in over there, we want to give a special shout out to Jennifer Hudson, of course, because J-HUD actually became an EGOT on Sunday night. So yay, J-HUD. For those of you who don't know what an EGOT is, that is someone who has earned an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony. And there are not that many people in the whole world that have accomplished that. Uh, Jennifer Hudson accomplished it Sunday when she won a Tony in her role. She was the co-producer of the show A Strange Loop, Julie, the one that won for Best Musical. I saw that. I saw that. I mean, I was so thrilled. I've, we, I've always loved Jennifer Hudson. Uh, I feel very close to Jennifer because uh, she was a big Weight Watchers person. <laughs> and, you know, I love Weight Watchers. Yes. <laughs> Have it. Uh, I mean, once a week, you know, once in Weight Watchers, always in Weight Watchers. That's off to her, right? Yeah. And remember, she was like just one of the original American Idol sensations. Right. And she didn't win American Idol. No. Uh, uh, yeah. But, you know, in our hearts, she always won. Yeah. We're even even question, Liz, we don't we don't like to admit this, but we can't remember whether we really in our minds, we think we had Jennifer Hudson on one of our satellite sister shows a yes. long time ago. 
Yes. In our minds, when we were on the radio, she was on our show. So, so, but Julie, I was trying to think of what did she win her other awards for? So you stumped me, Liz. Do you know the answer? (laughs) I do. I looked it up though. I looked it up. So she she won her Oscar for her role in dream girls, right? That was an amazing movie and she was fantastic in it. She won two Grammys Best R&B album in 2009 and Best Musical Theater album for the musical The Color Purple in 2017. Uh, And last year she got a daytime Emmy. That's the one I didn't know about. A daytime Emmy for the animated short Baba Yag, which she helped voice and co-produced. So she seems to be doing a lot of producing behind the scenes, which I just really admire because it means people are taking control of their careers and their business, right? Very, very, I mean, just hats off. I mean, she's just so much talent. And I think, you know, personally, because she's also gone through so much personal tragedy to celebrate her big moment. So she's now one of 17 EGOTs. So that's not very many. So I'm I'm going to sprinkle those around with people (laughs) I know know what she won for. (laughs) Okay. Well, Liz, I, you know, I have come, I'm coming to you today with a kind of a different, a a real, a true crime story, which we usually don't talk about on satellite Mm. but we really had some pretty shocking news uh, in Dallas. I know it was a headline around the country, but the Dallas Museum of Art was broken into last week. Uh, Did you see? I read about that. Yeah, I didn't, I don't know any of the details. Well, it was a really strange situation. Okay, the suspect is a is a man by the name of Brian Hernandez, 21 years old. Okay, it was just after 940 in the evening. So, you know, summertime, it wasn't that late. The Dallas Museum of Art is right downtown Dallas. It's by a big park and restaurants. So this is an area where a lot of people, particularly in the summertime, are walking around in the evening and everything. But he, uh, he, uh, his defense, he said he got mad at his girl. That's a quote from the suspect. Uh, so he picked up a metal chair and started banging repeatedly on one of the glass doors of the Dallas Museum of Art. So he really, thought, so it sounds like you just lost his cool. It wasn't really a finely planned heist. No, no this is not the Thomas Crown affair. No, no it was oh, not, oh. not planned heist. He was really, really angry at his girl and he picked up a chair and he started whacking at the store. But again, what I don't understand is this is a busy area. Didn't anyone see him or hear yeah. all this place where he is, he is, you know, crashing through a, a big glass door with this, with a metal chair, but he manages to break the door. Okay. And again, Unlike the Thomas Crown Affair movie, there are not gates and security guards that immediately swarmed him. He was in the museum for almost 30 minutes. He was walking around in the museum. He went to three different floors. At one point, he picked up one of those hand sanitizer uh, um, station things, you know, dispensers. He picked up one of those and he started smashing display cases. He broke some very valuable Greek artifacts and an American, Native American artifacts as well. But he was in there. He backtracked to the entrance that he came in. And then during this rampage that he had, he called 911. Why? Why? I don't understand. I guess he was reporting his own crime. Okay. Oh, but then oh. to this. So the 911 operators contacted the museum and said that, um, said that, you know, that is someone breaking into the um, uh, museum. And the security said, no, no, everything's fine here at the museum. So they did. Really? Really, Liz, really. <laughs> So they did. Um, they did apprehend him around ten ten. So that was about thirty minutes that he was in there, uh, and you know he's being charged with crimes and everything. But it really is, you know, quite a like eye popping case. First of all, that he committed this crime, and then secondly, that the security system at the museum apparently does not seem to be working very well. Right? That's so funny because you there have you've seen so many art heist movies in your life that you 
assume they've all got those lasers and people have to get in by lowering themselves through the ceiling, like all of that Mission Impossible style stuff. Right, Liz. And that was not the case. And then this break in is the same week that, you know, they had the the man who pretended pretended he was a woman in a wheelchair who threw a pie at the Mona Lisa painting at the Louvre in Paris. Um, but that, you know, this, that's another one where I saw the headline, but I didn't really read the story. Glad. I don't know. I, I mean, um, these are both sort of strange things. They both, um, they both, you know, really, are, you know, here in Dallas, it, you know, it's been sort of front page news, this, this break in and that, you know, that, you know, what kind of security should we have in the museum? And, you know, how will this affect the reputation of the museum and the museum's ability to, you know, get art on um, that's being lent to it, right? Yeah, right. And you you have members of your family who are, who work in art museums. So I'm sure your family has been talking about this a a lot. It's a big topic in our family. Yes, (laughs) exactly. But it was, it is a really curious case. It's a real, um, you know, it's unfortunate. It's just unfortunate all the way around. They don't, they haven't totally valued these, the artifacts that he destroyed. I mean, he just smashed these Greek urns. You know, when I saw one quote that was a million dollars and another quote that was up to $5 million. So uh, I, you know, we don't, I'm going to stay on this true crime story to see. Okay. All right. This is your next podcast series. You're going to get to the bottom of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Julie's doing a spinoff, Art Museum Heists. Uh, okay. Well, that was a major news story. Another major story in the news was something that I feel like I have a unique insight into. So even though I don't usually share too much of the behind the scenes at the various jobs I've had through my career, I thought this one was very funny and that I should share with you. Okay. Uh, so, so last week, the big business story in the entertainment business was that the CEO of the Walt Disney Company, Bob Chapek, out of the blue, allegedly, just fired the man there who was head of all television for all of the Walt Disney Company, which is super huge. You know, it's their channels and it's their streaming service and it's all kinds of things. And his name is Peter Rice. Well, surprisingly enough, my last boss, when I had a real job at a real company, was Peter Rice. And um, I wanted to, I wanted to, there was a lot of stuff in the news about what a nice guy he is, what a talent friendly executive he is, people were so shocked. So I thought I would share my story a little bit, just because I still laugh when I think about it, because I think I've said this before. I encourage people, especially women, to be tough negotiators. But I am a terrible negotiator. But I accidentally negotiated a big win from Peter Rice. So, and and this story has a perfect remote work angle, Julie, because so that's perfect for today. So here's the deal. So Peter Rice was my boss. I'll simplify the corporate structure details. But I was running marketing at the National Geographic Channel, running international marketing. And he ran all of TV programming at National Geographic, as well as all of Fox Entertainment and the FX uh, channel. And this is when we were all part of 20th Century Fox, whatever. Anyway, in Everyone knows, everyone who's ever worked in corporate America knows your blood runs cold when you hear the word reorg, right? It just, ah, reorg. Oh, so in an endless series of reorgs in 2015, Peter asked me to run all of marketing for National Geographic. So that would be both international and the U.S., but also not just TV, but the whole company, travel, magazine, everything that National Geographic does. So, and you know, I loved working for National Geographic, right, Jewel? Great, I know. You love that, except for one thing. Except for one thing. So National Geographic is based in Washington, D.C. And I had been doing just my TV job from Los Angeles, California. And when I said, okay, well, can I continue doing this from L.A.? He said, no, you have to move to D.C. And so there was no remote work option at all, which bumped me out because it was a job that I might have taken. But at this point in my career, I was just not that up to moving to a whole new city. So 
Anyway, so we had a meeting in his super spacious corner office because, you know, these big time Hollywood executives, they've got some pretty chic offices, Julie. And and he's Peter Rice is a lovely guy, as you've probably read in the paper. Have you read in the paper how much people like Peter Rice? Liz, there's a big story this morning in the Wall Street Journal about Peter Rice and his departure from Disney. Yeah. I would summarize it by saying he seems to have both supporters and detractors. Uh, how about that? Okay. <laughs> yeah, you can, you can say that about pretty much anyone, but I would say, you know, he's really a lovely guy. He's a mild-mannered British guy, very creative, very thoughtful, and he was trying to talk me into taking this job. And at one point, and he's also like 10 years younger than me. And so at one point, he even said to me, Liz, so where do you really see yourself in 10 years? <laughs> and and I, my thought was like, oh, so out of here. Are you kidding? I wanted to say, do you have any idea how old I am? But I did not say that. I said, well, I have a lot of creative outlets outside of my job. I did not say including my podcast satellite sisters, but that's what I was thinking. Anyway, so I just said, yeah, you know, I've creative outlets outside of my work. Anyway, when it became clear that he was not going to be able to talk me into taking this job, if it meant moving to Washington, D.C., um, he asked me in his super nice, very friendly, lovely way if I would at least stay for another six months until the end of the second quarter. So to leave in June of 2016. Uh, and because, you know, we're both very civilized human beings, Julie, and here we are trying to have a civilized career conversations. I said, sure, Peter, I would be happy to do that for you. And then totally jokingly, I said, I can stay until the end of June because my next big goal is to go to the Rio Olympics in August. <laughs> and I mean, it was just a complete throwaway. Like, I didn't want to say, yeah, get me out of here. I just, I thought, you know, it was just a civilized, jokey thing. And then, and this is why he's beloved, Julie. This is what it means to be talent-friendly, Julie. He said, if you stay until the end of June, I'll give you that trip, all expenses paid. <laughs> so this is... You know, you always read about Hollywood executives. They give their stars like, you know, private jets and cars and this and that. And yeah, yeah. So all of a sudden I was feeling the high beams of that kind of super talent friendly personality on me, which was very unexpected because uh, for a brief moment. I knew what the talent felt like because Peter Rice was looking at me just saying, I want to make you happy, Liz. So if we can agree that you're going to do this for me, then I will do this for you. So, and I think I probably told you guys about this at the time, right? Like you cannot believe what happened at work. This I is remember so you telling us, and first of all, like it was so like bold and outlandish on your part that like you were, you know, sort of, yeah, you know, you were going to the Olympics as your career goal. You know. <laughs> okay, so and then I felt because I'm lame, I kind of let it go for a month or two. I actually felt guilty. Like he doesn't need to give me a trip to the Olympics. I just want, you know, I'll work for six months and then I'll go away like any other normal executive. I, I, I didn't want to like hold him to it. I was going to let it ride until like in February he stuck his head into my office because we were only two doors away from each other. And he said, don't forget, Liz, I owe you that trip to Rio. And again, so now I'm like, okay, man, then I am, if he's reminding me now, I'm totally going to cash in on this. So then I did the one thing that I'm really proud of because this is when I actually started to negotiate Julie earlier. It had just been a joke, but now I wanted to strike an actual business deal. So I said, so, Peter, I'm assuming you don't expect me to go to the Olympics alone, do you? That's a trip for two, right? Yeah. I didn't know it went down like that. I That's mean, how it went down. That's how it went down. And I, did you have I, made a PowerPoint on like the reason why Liz Dolan and her guests should go to the Rio Olympics? No, this was all verbal. Right? No, this is all verbal, because, but this is the way it works in Hollywood. So now... He was trying to prove to me with the initial offer how powerful and generous he was. And now I was sort of challenging him about the limits of his power and generosity. 
So he can't say no. Or my theory was he can't say no, because then it undoes all of the goodwill he did with the offer in the first place. And I think it's fair that nobody should have to go to the Olympics on their own. So, so, so assuming you don't expect me to go on my own, do you? And I think I saw an actual flicker of recognition in his eyes at that moment where he was thinking to himself, oh, she is not the pushover. I thought she, she was. And then he said, um, yes, of course, just talk to my assistant. And that, satellite smisters, that's how Leon and I both went to the Rio Olympics for free. <laughs> and, and that's and that's why Peter Rice is beloved, Joel. That's what it takes. Just give away free things to people that you temporarily need to get something from. And uh, that's Hollywood, baby. That's that's Hollywood. And that's why that's why the the way he was fired, which was suddenly and boom, you're out and in a very uncharacteristically harsh way. Um, that's why it's making so much news because here you have, normally they just give you some kind of deal and you go away or it's over time or you get to announce you're leaving and they didn't do any of that for him. Anyway, so that's Hollywood. Usually everyone stays friends and it all happened because he would not accommodate me working from where I wanted to work. So there you go. Boom. Brought it all around to today's theme. All right, Liz. I mean, you're definitely a supporter, not a detractor. And then in the next um, segment, we're going to be talking more about working from home. <laughs> okay. Leon and Julie here from Satellite Sisters, and we want to thank our friend Jenny Kane. Hi, Jenny. We love Jenny <laughs> Kane. We know you know it's a California brand through and through, and we love their staples because it makes getting dressed so easy. Minimalist, effortless, but totally refined. And hello, Julie Dolan. That's kind of you. Minimalist, effortless, and totally refined. What have you been wearing from Jenny Kane this week? Leon, I love the cocoon cardigan. It's perfect for the Hot again, cold again, weather we're having, you know, this is sweater weather. And you can just pop on that cardigan. And even if you're wearing something schlumpy underneath, all of a sudden you look elevated and you're ready to go. You look minimalist, effortless, and totally refined when you wear the cocoon cardigan. Yes, I do, Leanne. Uh, I get compliments on it, too, because it's just the perfect thing to put on. Well, that's why we love Jenny Kane, is that everything is beautifully designed and really flatters the wearer. So we want to encourage you to check out everything over at JennyKane.com. You're going to find your new uniform. What is it that you want to put on that just perks up your, your presentation? Find your new uniform at JennyKane.com. Our listeners get 15% off their first order when they use code SISTERS at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at JennyKane.com. And Jenny Kane is spelled J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E. JennyKane.com, promo code SISTERS. Let getting dressed be one less thing to worry about. Thanks, Jenny. At Satellite Sisters, we love the products from OseaMalibu.com. Don't we, Liz? I mean, love it's them. seaweed-infused moisture just coming at us 24-7. I feel like it is a major pillar of my entire wellness program, Leanne, or the Osea products. Anything seaweed infused, that has to be good for you, right? And it feels so good going on and smells so delicious. And they, it really lasts. You know, other moisturizers promise that it's going to work for days. No, the Osea like moisture duo, it is working for days. I it mean, is. It's it incredible. Is. We love the Andaria Algae Body Oil. We talked mm. about that over and over mm. again. We love the Andaria Algae Body Butter. I mean, that is indulgent and buttery rich. Liz, it's clinically proven to hydrate for 72 hours. 72 really? hours, Liz. I love okay. that. Yeah. And then and then what about the anti-aging body balm? Have you tried that? The more balm, the better in my <laughs> life, I say. And the Mega Moisture Duo. You're going to want to check that out. You get the body oil and the body lotion together, and it makes your skin visibly firmer. Oh, that is a yeah. dream come true to satellite sisters and misters everywhere, isn't it? This is the time of year to really be thinking about the moisturizing. <laughs> okay. So we want you to check out all the wonderful products at Osea. 
glow from the inside out with clean vegan skincare and body care from Osea. Satellite sisters, misters, smisters, you're going to get 10% off your first order site-wide with the code SATSISTERS at OseaMalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Head to OseaMalibu.com, and Osea is spelled O-S-E-A. OseaMalibu.com and use code SATSISTERS for 10% off. So naturally, we're going to talk a little bit about all of the changes in the workplace over the last few years with the pandemic and otherwise. And there's an interesting experiment being conducted in Great Britain that you wanted to talk about. I mean, this was just, uh, it just started this week and you can only describe it as a sort of a big go for it situation. Britain is trying a four day work week. Okay. It's a test and they have more than three thousand workers and 70 companies that they are going to try this four-day work week um, and researchers from Cambridge University and Boston College are going to be studying whether a shorter work week, um, what that does, how does it impact revenue and productivity, okay, Mm. so which is great. So they're reducing employers' hours but not their pay and to see if this can improve employers' sense of well-being uh, without really sacrificing productivity, okay? And certainly COVID had a big part of this, yeah. that I think when we all had to work from home, um, you know, that I think it really, people started questioning like what they are doing at work and how much time do they actually need to spend at work? So this is gonna be interesting to watch. I mean, they've done smaller experiments in the US and Canada, New Zealand and Iceland. Um, but this is the first time that they've, you know, that it's been as quite as large scale as this. Mm-hmm. And say there are some real supporters to this. There are others that think that this is a terrible idea and that will it will be a failure, but it will be, I think to find out how this really does impact productivity and revenue will be, will be fascinating to find out. Yeah, you know, I'm really curious how companies even now with all of the changes and accommodations and work remote and or everything that they've done, how do they know how much work is getting done? I guess, you know, you have revenues and sales and things like that, but I think it's super hard. So anyway, so that's why we thought we would ask you, Smisters, about what have you experienced? What have you learned? What have you decided about your own professional uh, lives in the upheaval of the last couple of years? So we, so we did, you know, because we're a highly organized organization here at Satellite Sisters. We did a highly analytical survey uh, of just random answers of our question in our Facebook group. So thank you to everyone who answered that or emailed us. You can always email us at Hello at SatelliteSisters.com. So we were curious about what are you feeling? What are you doing? So we asked, what's your current work from home situation? Are you enthusiastically back in the office? Are you refusing it? Are you somewhere in between? Are you happily and permanently remote? For those of you who are bosses, I'm always curious, how do you make decisions about who works where with your employees? And also we know that not everyone can work from home. We have a lot of listeners who work in retail, who work in hospitals, who work in fulfillment centers. And we wanted to know if that's you, how's that going? And how are you and your colleagues managing it? And wouldn't you say, Julie, there are loads of personal insights in these answers. What I really loved about all the responses from everyone in our Facebook group is that they really wrote a lot. Um, Yes. Been thinking about this as I mean, COVID has changed our lives, changed our work patterns. And they, you know, they were very um, candid about both the positive aspects of working from home and as well as the negative aspects. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we're going to talk through some of these and I'm going to start with one category that I just called like the big switch because there were, there were numerous examples of things where something major happened in someone's life. It wasn't even necessarily the pandemic that kind of changed things forever or changed things for a long time. So the first one, this was a letter from a note from Paula, and this happened to her almost 14 years ago. Um, Her husband died 
And at the time, she had a son moving to high school and a daughter who was starting first grade, and they were going to different schools. So she just thought, okay, got to make a major change right now. So that's when she became a freelance corporate transcriptionist. And she, the, her, her answer is lengthy, and I encourage you to read it about how she made that transition, especially, you know, like many people now, dealing with the grief of having lost someone. And I also thought it was interesting that at the end, she said, because the social aspect of this is super important. And maybe, maybe that's true, especially for women, you know, like keeping up with your friends, making friends, all of that. And she said, I've always made an effort to keep up a social life since working at home full-time can be isolating. So I make sure to have some outings with friends planned frequently. And my two besties and I text several times a day, which is our digital version of talking to each other over the cubicle wall. So I think that's really key, the sort of just the social aspects of being connected to people. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, that's I, you know, you don't want to be isolated. I mean, some people want to be isolated. And we're yeah. Going to talk- yeah, yeah. So then the other big switch category was loss of a business. And there were examples of that. And this made me think a little bit of our dad, because he lost his business when he was in his mid 50s. And never quite got it sorted out again, right? It was just one of those things, a manufacturing company that was part of a economy-wide change. And uh, so the pandemic drove this for a lot of people in all kinds of businesses, especially for Sandy. So here's an example. She managed a pet sitting company, Julie, for 13 years. So it's one of those businesses that a lot of us depend on them. But if everyone's working from home during COVID, Nobody needs a pet sitter, right? So um, so she said the company's still limping along, but mainly she took this big switch like, okay, pet sitting's not going to be a thing. And she went off and she started what she calls her pandemic baby, which is the Kempton Cottage Bakery. Like many of us, there was some stress making going on with Sandy, but she managed to turn hers into a business. So I really appreciate that. So those are sort of the big things. People experience loss of a partner or loss of a business and just had to come up with a whole new plan. Then we got a lot of comments about people just on the the remote versus in the office thing. So Jenny is one of the examples where she immediately jumped on the opportunity her company gave her to live wherever she wanted to live. So she sold her home in the Willamette Valley, that's outside of Portland, and she and her mom moved to Redmond, Oregon, which, of course, we know and love. That's where the airport is for Bend, Jenny. (laughs) So uh, anyway, so she immediately took that up, um, and uh, she's enjoying that, and she was... A couple of months ago, she said she went in the office for one day and no one was there. So it was actually kind of creepy to even go there. So she'd rather be online with everyone. But she made a, a funny comment that reminded me of something Leon had said. She said, one thing I've noticed is now that I'm working from home, I've turned into the nosy neighbor monitoring activity outside my office window. Remember Gladys Kravitz from Bewitched? Yeah, that happens, Rachel. So I think. So we have all these people working on neighborhood watch. Uh, and <laughs> Okay. Then uh, some quickies. Rebecca is a federal employee and she wrote that she's enthusiastically, enthusiastically back at the office, a minimum of one day a week, but because she's helping to train and coach new people, she's there two days a week. And I've thought a lot about new employees in this pandemic situation it's so hard. I was talking to a friend of mine, actually a guy that used to work for me at Nat Geo, who now works for a big tech company. So he's been working for them for more than a year and a half now, and he still has never met his boss or his coworkers. Don't you think that would be bizarre? I think that would be really hard, you know, and, and I, I mean, a number of the people that responded, Liz, also said that, like, to go into these empty offices. Yeah you know, creepy or weird situations. So, you know, I know some companies, everybody's going in on the same day. So the place looks full, but, you know, I, yeah, I think it's, um, I think we're still in transition about how this is all going to sort out, you know, right. whether 
Right. So, so then Victoria is also in the remote versus office category, but she writes, I was firmly in the camp of not ever wanting to work at home prior to COVID. I actually turned down a job because it was remote, but it's been a real eye opener how much I love working from home. I get back two hours every day from the commute so I can send it with the kids or use for appointments. And during meetings, Julie, she preps dinner or throws the laundry in and she no longer has to take a day off uh, of work waiting for the cable guy. I think we've all experienced that. Yeah, no, that's good. A number of people talked about the commute, parking, and now, of course, gasoline, <laughs> price of gasoline is really making work from home seem a lot more attractive. Yeah. Yeah. But, OK, know, so now you've got a few. But Liz, you know, some of the some of our listeners cannot work from home like Karina. An RN at a hospital, and she has what she writes is a hundred percent front-facing work. Yeah, you know that. You know she's you. You know we count on nurses. We know how hard they work, or we don't know how hard they work. Yeah, Tina said the last two years have been tougher than any other in the last twenty-five years. I mean, you can just imagine work. She works in an oncology unit, and she's had COVID twice. But, you know, she still finds um, value and rewards for doing what she's doing. And she's doing and praying for a return to normalcy. So I thought that was important. Maggie, you know, you mentioned it earlier. She's in the retail sector. And, uh, you know, she almost wrote the exact same thing that Karina did, that the last two years have been the hardest two years in her 25 years of work experience because of staffing shortages and the whole shift in retail, you know, yeah. people everything online now. And so there, if you, but you still have to have the storefronts and it's less people doing more work. Um, Anne has a job where it's customer service and she has to, you know, while she's been, you know, sort of transitioning into face-to-face meetings because she does a lot of Zoom meetings with her clients, she she does need to accommodate clients that want to meet in person, you know, because- Oh, sick. yeah, right, right. Mm-hmm. I think there are, you know, a lot of people like that, you know, that are in position, that are in jobs that just will never have the option to work from home because of the nature of the job. And- um, I'm glad they shared that. Um, you know, I think we should appreciate people that have to go to go to work or go to a location. Yeah, yeah, because there were other notes from sales reps and things that I have to start calling on people again. It's just the nature of my job. Yeah, I mean, but there is the issue of fairness and unfairness from a work from home. Lisa wrote that she works for a university. And she said some feel if one works from home, they are not working. Okay. That's, I mean, that's, I like the honesty that she brought to that. And she said, there's a divide between those who can and can't work from home. And so it's creating an unhappy culture. Uh, and people are, are starting to look for other jobs. I mean, you can see that. I mean, that, that there's, it seems, it seems better to work from home. And so that it is unfair if you have a job where you don't have that opportunity. So, um, well, some of this, the ones that I really thought about a lot, Julia, are the ones where people said it sort of depends on your boss's discretion. For me, that was like rut row because, I mean, we all know there are good bosses out there and there are bad bosses out there. So if you work for a boss that's like, yeah, let's work out a deal, blah, 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 and you get to do that, that's fine. But if there's another boss in the organization that is not allowing their employees that same sort of discretion um, or flexibility, then that's when bitterness really starts to set in inside the organization, because it's just not fair that some people get to do it and other people don't. So I think that is a really just thinking about that as a leader in an organization, how to sort through that. I have a lot of compassion for the leaders of teams and departments and companies who have to figure out what is a standard and then how do we give people maximum flexibility without allowing everyone to kind of do their own thing, you know? Right. And, you know, what's falling through the cracks? I mean, I think that's what we're, you know, what what managers worry about. Or, you know, where is the creativity and innovation going to come from? You know, I worry about that a lot. Yeah. Because I personally know me. 
I'm much more creative around other people, or I enjoy the creative process much more around other people than I do sitting home alone, you know? So the, there are times and like, and zoom is just not quite the same as we all know. So when are people being productive? How are people being productive? It's so different for everyone. And different kinds of businesses. (laughs) There was a really funny answer we got here from Tara, where I thought, oh my God, I can't imagine being this boss, but I'm happy for you, Tara. She said, our company implemented what they call work styles. Each person and their manager determined their work style, office, hybrid, remote. The confusing thing is that there aren't clear definitions like, is hybrid once a week? What is hybrid? But I absolutely loved working in the office. but I was pregnant with my baby during the pandemic. So I don't know what it's like to be in the office every day. And she said, it's also, she said, it's so weird now that people are going back to the office that no one ever saw her pregnant because she was pregnant at the beginning of the pandemic, but now her baby's going to be two in a few months. So she went from with, in her colleague's eyes, never being pregnant to having a two-year-old. For some reason, I just think that's funny. <laughs> but then but then I was thinking like, okay, you're the boss and you have to do a work styles evaluation for each individual and make it work for that individual, but also work for your team, your department, your company. Oh my God. Doesn't that seem really hard? <laughs> Seems hard. I see. And you might want to change your work style. A lot of people talked about the social aspects, like Lisa, who has been working from home since 2018. She says she misses the social aspect of the office. Like she met her husband at work. Okay. Uh, And she doesn't know how the younger generation is going to do that. A number of our listeners said that, like, you know, they've been working for some time, uh, like Diane, who said she's made her friendships, her mentors, you know, but how do, but younger uh, workers, her co-workers are anxious about that. I don't know how you make your professional alliances. I don't know how you make your professional um, relationships if you're not right. not in person. Yeah, um, yeah. no, I, I really worry about that too, Joel. Yeah. And that you just, you know, sometimes you have no idea uh, who your co-workers really are as people. I mean, you can see their work product and you can see how, you know, you know, some of their aspects of their personality, but not to be with them, you know, face to face and pick up on the informal cues and communications are really an issue. So, all right. Well, and then there are a couple of funny ones. So again, I encourage you to read it. Karen was noting something that I think many of us have noted that, uh, okay, during the pandemic, both she and her husband were uh, working from home and now they're thinking about making that change permanent. Uh, She was in the dining room at first, but now she works in a bedroom. Her husband's there. And she said, the funniest thing is our work attire, since we both have lots of on-camera meetings. He might be in his pajama bottoms, slippers, and a logo polo. And I might be in old yoga pants, slippers, and a dressy blouse with the blazer. I do wonder what the neighbors think of our odd clothing choices when we wander out to the mailbox. Not sure I can still dress top to bottom for a 360 view. Amen. I, I'm sure you've seen that in yourself and in your own neighbors, Julie. Yeah, I have, Liz. That was a good one. I liked it. But Liz, I wanted to ask you, okay, so... How do you think working from home like would have um, impacted your career? You had a big career in marketing. Mm-hmm. You've worked in organizations. Uh, if that was all remote work, uh, how do you think that would have impacted you? I, I don't think it would have impacted my career well. Um, but mainly, here's the thing. When I think about, I mean, maybe I'm good at marketing. Maybe or not. Maybe I'm not. I don't know. But I think what I am good at is leadership. And I think most of the time I ever got promoted, it's because my boss or someone else in the organization recognized that I would be good at leading whatever the process is we needed to do, whether it was a creative process or something operational. So I try to imagine now, and I think people see, like you were saying, that meeting you, knowing you, spending time around you, that might be an attribute that people could see in me around the office, but if I was in a Zoom box, would they see that? Is it, is it like, 
even if you write like a killer email about, hey, team, let's do this. Is that really going to be as effective? So I just think a lot about how we're going to evaluate people for other what they call soft skills. Right. So and leadership, believe it or not, is a soft skill, even though it's critical to everything. So I don't know, Julie, I just I'm not sure left to my own devices, sitting in my spare bedroom, doing my thing. I would have had a chance to either know that I could be a leader or be seen as a leader. So I worry about that. And I also think about how how are people going to get promoted in this newfangled work world where some people will have loads of exposure to leadership, to let's just call them the deciders, you know, so the deciders are deciding who gets promoted or who gets sent to go run some office in another region or what, and they'll know some people really well and other people just by nature of their work style, they'll know them less well. I, I don't think that's necessarily good or bad. I just don't know how that's going to work. I'm really curious. In some ways, I think that would be really hard. But in other ways, I think, well, maybe the sort of hail fellow, well met, like everybody promotes people that are just like them, which has normally uh, been a reward system, you know, for men, especially for white men. Maybe if that's no longer so much of the deal, the sort of social aspect of being at work together, maybe women, people of color, people with disabilities that might have otherwise gotten overlooked in the social environment of the office will be allowed to shine more. So maybe there's an upside. I honestly have no idea. You know, I'm sure you're not going to get a free trip to the Rio Olympics. No, no, that had to be a face-to-face negotiation, right? He had to be trying to impress me. But uh, Julie, I was thinking about you because you've had, talk about work styles over the course of your career, forget about even the pandemic. You've worked every which way there is. You know, you worked remotely, you've worked in an office, you've worked, when we started Satellite Sisters, you were living in Thailand and then living in Russia, but even some of your university jobs, you didn't live there. So do you think there's a best way for you? Was there a best way? Well, for me, I, you know, I'm more of an extrovert. So yes, I like being in an office. I know many of the people that wrote it said, you know, they, they're, they're introverts and they're really enjoying the work from home um, experience. Uh, but I have tried everything, Liz. I, we were in, I was the first wave of working mothers and, you know, work full-time, work part-time, work remotely, any which way, and just constantly changing and pivoting. And I, and I see, you know, I see the moms now doing this same um, uh, in this generation. Yeah. So big experiment out there, Liz. Uh, we don't have all the answers, uh, we, but we do have these great insights from our satellite sisterhood. Yeah, Julie, I feel like you were in our family anyway, the OG job flexibility uh, person. <laughs> Because you tried it every which way. But the only thing we learned doing this whole exercise with all of you listeners is that it's never going back. I just feel like we are going into some brave new world, which is a good reminder that really thinking about what is important to you, you know, professionally, socially, financially, and then trying to strategize the best way to make that work. In one way, I feel like we're in the best possible situation now for people to really be able to ask for what they want. And I hope it's something more significant than a free trip to the Olympics. Okay. Well said, sister. We are so happy at Satellite Sisters to have BritBox as a sponsor. You know, we love it. It's the streaming home of the best British television with exclusive mysteries, crime dramas, comedies, documentaries, and more. Julie, what's your fave? Vera, I love this show. I'm on season 11. I mean, Brenda Blethyn is such a great actress. And the character Liz Vera, I don't know if you've watched it, but she's essentially Margaret Thatcher in a trench coat, okay? (laughs) She is bossing people around and solving crime. I love her. Okay, well, I want to especially recommend Archie. Archie is a brand new limited series. It's starring Jason Isaacs as Archie Leach. 
Who is he? He's the man who became Cary Grant. And, you know, what's so interesting about this is it's sort of about how he became a star in old Hollywood, how he went from being Archie Leach to being Cary Grant. But also because it's him growing up in old Hollywood, there are a lot of people in the in the movie playing Doris Day, Grace Kelly, George Burns. It's little snapshots of what it was like to become a movie star back in the day. So I really enjoyed it and recommend. So sign up for BritBox today to stream Archie and any other fan favorites from any device you have. So we have a special limited time offer. Get 50% off your first month when you sign up for the monthly plan, but only if you go to BritBox.com and use our promo code SISTERS at checkout. Got it? Don't wait. Get 50% off your first month. Use promo code SISTERS at BritBox.com. We're so grateful to have ButcherBox as a sponsor of Satellite Sisters. We're grateful, Liz, because delicious cuts of meat and fish come to our house, to our front door. They're frozen in perfectly proportioned, you know, pieces, and then we can cook them for a delicious dinner. What's not to be grateful for? I know. I know. And the best part is, like, okay, let me use last night as an example. It got to be like 530. I'd been working in the house all day, hadn't really gotten out, hadn't done any shopping. I'm like, oh, what am I going to have for dinner? And then I opened my freezer drawer and I had so many excellent butcher box choices. You know, there was a little New York strip there. There were some scallops there. I actually went with the chicken tenders, Liam. I love those chicken tenders. They're so delicious. I wouldn't have thought I would ever become a chicken tenders girl. They are so perfect for exactly the kind of night I was having last night. So thank you, ButcherBox, for the convenience. Not just for kids, chicken tenders. No, they're not. No. They're just delicious. Yeah, delicious. We are talking about ButcherBox, of course. It's the ultimate convenience. Right to your doorstep, free shipping always, and you can curate those boxes so you get exactly what you want. And of course, it's high quality cuts at an amazing value. And you get these great exclusive member deals. So you never really know what's going to be in my box this month. You get to choose some fun stuff every month. So thank you, ButcherBox, for making our lives more convenient. With ButcherBox, you don't have to worry about what's for dinner. ButcherBox is offering Satellite Sisters listeners their choice of a weeknight meal essential. Three pounds of chicken thighs, two pounds of ground beef, or one pound of premium steak tips for free in every order for a whole year. Plus, get $20 off your first order. Sign up today at butcherbox.com sisters and use code sisters to choose your free offer and get $20 off. Butcherbox.com sisters. Use code sisters. Thanks, ButcherBox. We are back. And Julie, I know you wanted to do a special shout out today to dads because we've got Father's Day coming up. Father's Day uh, coming up. And, you know, Liz, I was thinking a lot about our dad. And, uh, you know, I was thinking our dad, who sometimes he didn't even know how good he was at being a dad. You know, um, you know, we we love we certainly love loved him, you know, but he in many ways, he was like one of the uh, from the Madman uh, TV show where. <laughs> He would like breeze in, uh, you know, at dinner time and then go, you know, he wasn't really a hands on dad, but but I think he in many ways, he had certain expressions that he always said to us. And I and I think that really helped us grow to the people that we are. Uh I mean, how we used to always say when my ship comes in, he always. Yes. He was a very optimistic guy, and he always thought it's all going to turn around when my ship comes in. We're going to go do something fantastic. He had big dreams. He had optimism. He also um, was, you know, he always had an expression: "You only go around once in life." Okay, yes. he taught us to live our best life. You know, to like, you know, this is your chance to seize the moment. You only go around once in life, and and that's the way he lived his life. He also used to always say to me, and it was annoying, but he'd said, stand tall. Remember how he would lost <laughs> you? No, I don't remember that. Maybe you were just more of a sloucher, Jewel. I don't know. Don't recall that. <laughs> two things. It meant that like I apparently was slouching and that I needed to stand, stand taller. And the other thing, I think it was his way to tell me to be confident, you know? Oh, stand yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. You know, we've talked about this expression on Satellite Sisters, where he would say to each of his eight children, I have already been to college. (laughs) 
right? This was the speech he would give us as high school seniors, which is you have to accept responsibility. You have to do things on your own uh-huh. and you have. Okay. Right. Yes. yes. I'm not reading your college application. I'm not writing your college application. I've already been to college, <laughs> which now I think would be, you know, can you imagine a modern day parent saying that Julie? No. Here's the pencil. I've already been to college. <laughs> applications. Uh, He had a nice expression that I know he copied from his father, from our grandfather, was uh, our dad was a big tipper, always, you know, Uh very generous. And when he'd give people a tip, he'd say light a candle, which was a reference that, you know, to go to a church and light a candle, uh, say a prayer. I mean, but it was just this constant, you know, reminder that prayer, spirituality is important in your life, as well as generosity, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is, is um, rub it up, right? I Did he, he, anytime you had an injury, and this, in my case, maybe it was a concussion, or <laughs> he would just say, rub it up, you know? Yeah. I, yeah. He, yeah. He, was, I mean, he and mom both said that, and mom was an actual RN, so from her, it was more surprising. <laughs> he, you know, he did, you know, he, he did, they did provide all the medical care we ever needed, yeah. but he told us to be tough. And I yes. think those lessons were so important. And I think probably, you know, they're to all the dads out there, you probably don't even realize how good a job that you're doing. I certainly want to thank my husband, who's been a great dad, our two sons that I think are dads and are having such a huge impact on their children and my grandchildren. And for those that didn't have dads around or, you know, maybe have had a strange, uh, strained relationship with them. I think it's great that you, you know, whenever possible, if you can find forgiveness and look forward and to all the dads out there, keep doing what you're doing. Um, you're doing a great job. Yeah. And there are plenty of dads who have stepped into the role of father, even though it may not be their actual children, you know, so the, we really admire everyone out there who has done that to just show children the love and direction that they need. So happy father's day to everyone playing the role in any way. Liz and I have a perfect entertaining sisters recommendation for father's day. It's, uh, it is a remake of the movie Father of the Bride. Okay, now, that know, was a great movie. That was an excellent movie. But this time it has, it's Andy Garcia is, is playing the father. I love him. And Gloria Stefan is going to be the mother in it. How wonderful is that? Oh. That in Miami. I mean, it's the same story. I think there are some different twists. It's on HBO Max. This um, on Thursday is when it is uh, dropped or it will be uh, debuting. And I think it's a perfect movie, uh, even though I haven't seen it. <laughs> Poor father. <laughs> I mean, I love both of those actors. And I yes. think the setting will be fun. And I'm sure there will be some new twists and turns and some harmless entertainment. Harmless, harmless and, and delightful repartee. Okay, Father of the Bride. Yeah, the original was great. Do them back to back, I say. They were both, the, the original was good and this one sounds great. All right, for me in the Entertaining Sisters category, I do have a road trip coming up. As I've mentioned, I'm going to be working in Oregon uh, this summer several times because I'm working on these big track meets at Hayward Field. So I've been thinking about what road trip books do I want, Julie? I need to download some audiobooks. And normally, this is when I like download some big, heavy, work of like nonfiction or history that I thought I'm never going to get around to laying on my couch reading this. Uh, just my, my mind will wander. I will fall asleep. But somehow when I'm in a car, I can, you know, even if it's like one of those big David McCullough histories of uh, great American founding father kind of thing. But I'm just not in the mood for that this year. Just <laughs> I just, I just don't have it in me to take on anything too heavy. So I downloaded two books 
that are on the Satellite Sisters Best Beach Bag book list. And I want to remind everyone that that whole book list is posted at SatelliteSisters.com. If you click on the link to our blog at SatelliteSisters.com, you'll see all of the books that we recommended that Leon put together into a great blog post with links to how to get them. So the first one I picked, I think, Julie, this was one that you recommended, The Power Couple by Alex Berenson. Haven't you already read this? Yes, Liz, I've read that. It's a good uh, spy versus spy kind of um, uh, book. I think you'll enjoy it. It will certainly keep you awake and move you along on the highway. Okay. Good All right. Whenever I see the word counterespionage in the blurb, I was like, oh, yeah, okay, I'm in on that. So The Power Couple by Alex Berenson, I've downloaded that. And the other one, which Leon loved, is called The Botanist's Guide to Parties and Poisons. And this is from first-time author Kate Kavari. And Leon described it as the lost apothecary meets meets dead, dead girls in this fast-paced steminist adventure. Is it dead, dead girls or just dead girls? Whatever. Anyway, fast-paced adventure, steminist adventure, I'm into it. And so it's the struggles of a woman in a male-dominated field in 1923. And it says right here on the list, it's a pulse-pounding mystery, Julie. So that will keep me awake on the long drive, either north or south. Watch your pulse to be pounding. Okay, so now um, next week we have a big show coming up. So we wanted to let people know about that. You know how much we love Claire Tansy. She's a, a cookbook author, a chef. She does a lot of fun things online. If you ever want to take cooking classes online with someone who's just a lot of fun to be with, Claire Tansy uh, is the one. So she will be on Satellite Sisters next week, Jewel, because she's going to talk to you about easy summer cooking. You psyched? I am so sick of cooking. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. So I'm actually off next week. So it will be Leanne and Julie and Claire Tansy doing some easy summer cooking. So then I decided, okay, maybe that can be my inspiration for the next cooking with Liz. So I wanted to announce that right here. Um, You don't have a lot going on this summer, so I'm not going to be doing it every week. But on Saturday, July 2nd, live in the Satellite Sisters uh, YouTube channel, I'm going to make some of the dishes that Claire suggests next week, some easy summer cooking. I'm in the mood for that. And then I am also looking for a grilling idea. So I'm going to post this in uh, in the Satellite Sisters Facebook group suggest what I should grill for the 4th of July, and I'm going to test it on the 2nd of July. And it can be anything. It can be a steak. It can be a lobster tail. It can be a portobello mushroom. What is your favorite delicious treat uh, to grill? And then I'm going to pick one. And so live on Cooking with Liz on July 2nd, I'll make a couple of Claire's suggestions, and then I'll do some live grilling because, you know, I'll be in my backyard where I can grill. So I'm excited about that. Exciting. But you're a good griller, Liz. So I, I, I'll be watching. I'll yeah. be watching. I'm going to get some good suggestions. I was thinking seafood, you know, grill up some octopus yes. or something like oh, that. Oh, okay. Well, put it in the Facebook group. You got you to gotta find an actual recipe for me. I don't want just want to see the words grilled octopus. I want to see recipe your, for your favorite grilled octopus, okay? sister. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Also next week, Leanne will have a travel report. As we mentioned at the top of the show, she's in Santa Fe right now and she's researching and writing some of her next book, part of which is set in Santa Fe. So what's, what's going on there now? She posted this. She's checking out the farmer's market, the Santa Fe cooking school, the Canyon Road art galleries, which are so great. Yoga in the park is on her agenda. Uh, hot springs, green chili, and uh, all of that is going to be part of her, uh, part of her next novel, but also part of her travel report uh, next Tuesday. And she did note in her post that you are required by law to refer to Santa Fe as city different. So hashtag city different, Jewel. Hey, that sounds exciting. I can't wait to hear how Santa Fe. City. Santa Fe is such a great place. Have you ever been there? there a number of times yes yeah Yeah, super nice it just there is something 
it is really hashtag city different. It's a very special place. Our older brother Dick lived there for a while and I went and visited a number of times when he was living there. Anyway, so that's next week. But for today, we want to give our thank you to Sergio Enriquez, our engineer who makes us makes us sound good. Also, congratulations, Sergio. He was just telling us before we started recording that it was his daughter's first birthday this past weekend, and they had like a three-day festival. <laughs> well, happy fa- a special happy Father's Day to you. Happy Father's Day to Sergio Enriquez, and also a thank you to uh, to Emily Loudermilk. She does our graphics, so if you ever see, you see those fun graphics that we post all over the place, they're special for Instagram. So if you don't follow us on Instagram, you should do that. We're at Sat Sisters. There's a lot of fun stuff that goes on there, um, and uh, so thank you, Emily. So here we are, Jewel. Time for the big wrap up. Um, so your to-do list for the week, what's what's the top of Julie's to-do list? It's more of a subject, Liz. Uh, it's Juneteenth, you know, which is also going to be celebrated on Father's Day, you know, that this uh, this Sunday. And it's really exciting because it's a new federal holiday. And I was having a conversation with one of my grandsons about Juneteenth. He, he was asking some questions about, well, how did it get started? What is it? And I just thought, that's what I'm going to do this week. I'm going to make sure my grandchildren know what Juneteenth is and why it's such a big deal that this is now um, a federal holiday. Okay. All right. That's great. Good work, Nana. Good work. What's on your to-do list, Liz? Well, I mentioned the impending road trip. So before the road trip can begin, I need to clean out all the crap that's currently in my car, Joel. You know, uh, things tend to collect in the back of my car, as you know. I've seen the back of your car. <laughs> People, that's a big job. She may, <laughs> she may need guidance. <laughs> oh, you know, I started it this the, the over the past weekend. And one thing I found in there, which I had been looking for, is my Operation Sea Turtle hat. So, you know, so that is a sign that it's really worth cleaning out the back of the car. I think there are some high value items back there that I haven't seen in a year or so. So I will be cleaning out the car for my road trip and then at some point heading north. So I am looking forward to that. So there you have it. Thank you for listening to our our show. Julie, I'm glad we could go through all those listener comments together. I think I really... You know, I I really learned I a lot. You too, Liz. And I want you to drive safely, okay? And have a good... <laughs> okay. Thanks for listening, everyone. And don't forget, call your satellite sister. <laughs>